So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. This morning, my guest is the perfect guest for this morning because she does meditation, which I absolutely needed when I screwed up all of our Skype calls and we got to start a little late. So I'm introducing you to Shona, who um, if you need to learn a little bit more about how meditation can help you through your chronic illness journey, I am not always the best person for meditation, but I did go to her site and it was amazing. And I took her free class and I'm just giving the warning, do not do this while driving. It was the most relaxing thing. Absolutely what I needed before dealing with Skype calls. So Shona, thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yay. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> I, know, I feel like we did such a great introduction before. I'm trying to like get it to that level. <laughs> so have you go through your whole oh chronic God. illness journey, take two. <laughs> Take two. Here we go. Absolutely. <laughs> so can you tell us what you're dealing with? What is the, the chronic illness that you have? I have a chronic neurological Lyme disease. And can you explain neurological Lyme disease? Because I've heard Lyme disease so many times. I've interviewed people with Lyme disease, but I really want to get an understanding of what neurological means for Lyme. Okay, my understanding, which may or may not be perfect, <laughs> is that keep in mind we are not the Mayo Clinic, we are not Stanford, right. we just do our best. Although I think all of us get doctorate degrees for having chronic illness. Like I think so too, but maybe you don't want one. You know, I've been thinking lately, maybe I want less of a doctorate. That would be nice. <laughs> I, I could deal I could with send that. Send it back. Yeah, or at least one that actually is accredited, so I could do something with it. <laughs> then maybe somebody would just send us some money for no reason. Um, <laughs> Yeah, please. By the way, we do have a Patreon account at Invisible Not Broken because being sick in America is expensive and thanks to the GOP is going to get a lot more expensive by next week. We'll do that later. Neurological Lyme disease. <laughs> so Lyme is a bacterial infection and my understanding is that if it gets into your nervous system, it's considered neurological Lyme. So it can kind of nest into any different part of your body, but not everybody has issues that are neurological in nature. So, and neurological can mean brain issues. It can mean, I don't have this, but some people have like actual nerve disorders, numbness or tingling or pain or loss of feeling along their um, motor nerves or sensory motor nerves in their body. But my issues are more mental, like more anxiety and brain fog and difficulty with short-term memory. <laughs> Stringing sentences Wait, together. What, what were you saying? <laughs> we're going to get along great. This is perfect. <laughs> and that's really common for neurological Lyme. Like, yeah, memory issues, anxiety issues, sleep problems, just so, like weird, weird brain stuff. Anything that keeps you from adulting in the adult world. Yeah, really. Yeah, it, it's important to try to have a sense of humor about it, but that's really challenging when it's your brain, you know? It's like a daily spiritual practice just to have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> I firmly believe a sense of humor is the only way to actually get through any of this. I think so too, but it's challenging. You know, some days I don't feel like it's funny. Some days I feel like I can roll with it. I absolutely hear you. And I am so impressed with you and people like you who this is a sudden change. It's true. That is insanity to me. And something so small as you go for a hike or a walk and this like thing that's like less than an inch changes your whole life. It's the size of a poppy seed. I mean, that just, it seems so vastly unfair. At least I have an entire DNA code to blame. That's but true. You, you just have this one little, like, moment where you're walking in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's, yeah. that's crazy. So this is from a tick bite. What? This is from a tick bite that you... Absolutely. I remember the tick bite. It bit me on my stomach. I pulled it out with a pair of tweezers. I called the hospital and they said because it wasn't engorged and it was a nymph that I didn't have to worry about it and that it was unlikely that there was Lyme in California anyway. Wow. So I threw the tick away. I should have had it tested right away. Now anyone who needs to know if you get bitten by a tick, call. I don't even know who to call actually, but LymeDisease.org probably has all the information of where to send the tick and get it analyzed. As a child of the 80s, my first thought was Ghostbusters, but <laughs> um, that's actually an incredibly good tip because with my disorder, it took about 30 years to diagnose it correctly. And one of the big oh. questions was Lyme's or MS. And the oh. test for Lyme's, I had to go through, I think, three separate times and then pay for a really expensive one because yeah. there's a lot of false negatives. Yes, exactly. So, and you know, if you wind up with symptoms, that's the route you have to go. But if you have your tick... I think it's like $150 and you can send it 
to some lab and they analyze it for bacterial. So, so much cheaper than I spent. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Not that, you know, even if you get bitten and you send your tick in and they tell you, okay, it does have Borrelia, which is the Lyme bacteria or whatever other co-infections it might have. You still might need to spend $6 billion on treatment. Like, I don't know if that would, it gives you an advantage to get it right away, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're free and clear. We will definitely be going into that in great detail on how much it costs (sighs) to deal with something like this because, um, God, it's expensive and changes your whole life. So what were you doing before you got Lyme? So are you still able to continue life as usual or? No, my life is totally different. Um, I am doing about half what I did before I got bitten by the tick because the probably I would say my number one issue is chronic fatigue, which is really normal for someone with Lyme. So I just don't have the physical or mental energy or stamina to do the amount that I was doing before I got sick. But I've come a long way, you know, I've had a fair amount of treatment and it has done me some good, even though I wouldn't say that I'm in remission yet. Um, maybe I will be. Hopefully, I can hope so. Isn't but, that the dream for all of us? Like, yes. <laughs> for now, it's like fifty percent. I'm I'm work. I'm still teaching. I own a Pilates studio in San Francisco that focuses on rehabilitation and pain. So my business partner and I kept the studio, and I'm just teaching half time. Would you like to quickly plug your studio? Sure. It's Hosti Pilates. H a s t i p i l a t e s. I am so jealous. Pilates is one of the big things for Eller Stainless, but it is so expensive to go to classes. I know. It's true. It's expensive. Yeah. So you're still able to run the business and teach, but it's at a slower pace. Well, I used to teach seven or eight hours a day. Now I teach three. That is a huge difference. But I'm so happy for you that you have a partner. That's Yeah, because there have been times where I haven't been able to teach at all. I, I'm very jealous. I, I bet everyone's missing Kiros. He is dealing with some personal things right now that he has to take some time away from the show, and I miss him. <laughs> I miss him very much right now. Uh, that's wonderful that you have, have that help to be able to still run something and be sick. It's um, yeah, a very true. underappreciated thing to have. <laughs> it's true. No, I feel really grateful that we haven't had to give up the studio. I don't know if I'll keep it. Like I always thought I would teach till I was in my 80s, and we'll see. You know, that stuff is all sort of... I'm just allowing lots of question marks where before I felt more certainty. Okay, I love everything you just said about <laughs> I, when I was a photographer, I was, my husband would talk about retirement. I'd be like, what do you mean retire? I will never not do this. This is like my blood and bones. This is how I see the world. I will never stop. And then, you know what they say, uh, when you're busy making plans, the universe laughs. It's, yes. <laughs> it's totally. kind of what happens. And that's that's a hard thing to, to live with the uncertainty for me. How do you deal with uncertainty? I find it the hardest thing, actually. Although, honestly, we're all in that boat. They're healthy people, guess what? You don't know what's going to happen either. <laughs> yeah, but we have to, like, I feel like there's this beautiful ignorance in healthy people. Like, oh my God. it's almost like when you look at kids and they're yeah. like, I will be a firefighter. I'm going to be an astronaut. And you're like, yeah. that's nice. You might, you absolutely might, but there's just this beautiful, lovely ignorance of happiness and joy, and that's all going to work out how I planned, and I'm like, what does that feel like? (laughs) I don't know anymore. I don't have that feeling anymore at all. I remember what it used to feel like, but I, yeah, I certainly don't feel that way anymore. That's what amazes me about all of you who it's a sudden thing. Like, I've been sick since I was eight years old. I've been in and out of hospitals from being, like, a small kid. So certainty has never been something that has been in my wheelhouse. So I'm always just intrigued and adoring it when someone's super, like, this is how it will be. And I'm like, you know that? Really? Oh, cheers. (laughs) Please, tell me more. (laughs) So for you, you've... What, did you start Red Kite before or after you got sick? Uh, no, after. I, I actually launched Red Kite this January. So I didn't actually know I had Lyme until last August, so a little more than a year ago. Oh, my gosh. This is all so new for you. It's totally brand new. Yeah, it's my little baby project. I, I, I'm just so proud of you. I know I don't know you well, but I am so proud of you. Like, it was a, a huge amount of work, but it actually I, – I had a relapse in January, like a – a pretty significant Lyme relapse. Um, and doing Red Kite 
was a lifeline in a way because I felt awful, but I was so passionate about getting the website up and running that it gave me kind of a, you know, it just distracted me, took me away. And plus I couldn't work. So I took January and February off teaching and I built the website. So, and I don't know if I had been teaching, would I have had the extra energy to spend that much time building a website? Probably not. So it all worked out at the end. And I'm really, really happy about how Red Kite has gone. As you should be. That's I, I'm a website geek and um, oh, yeah. beautiful website. Gorgeous. Thank you. Super I easy to get around. What did you say? <laughs> and it's, the UI on it is amazing. Like, it's so easy to get a UI uh, user interface. It's really okay. easy to get around. Like, it's very easy That's to like be like, this is what I want to do here. I want to get these meditations. I want, and I love that you have um, an ability to test out the meditations before buying them. And that's so great. I, I'm going to be spending a lot of time there. That's um, wonderful. But I'm always so intrigued on how people handle handle chronic illness suddenly. And for some people, it's a, um, a cocooning. Like you just sort of get into your cocoon, you dissolve, and then you figure out how you're going to build yourself up, if at all. And there's no... Yeah, and there's no shade to people who need to spend a lot more time dissolving in the cocoon than others. Everyone's process on that is their own. But yeah. like you created something in that cocoon. You you decided, excuse me for being super metaphorical. I'm in the middle of like getting ready for NaNoWriMo and that's the national um, novel writing month. So I am so oh. like framing everything, getting all of my characters set up and everything. So I'm like speaking in metaphors for the next month. Apologies to everyone. This will air probably in the middle of me, like typing furiously 50,000 words in one month. So I uh, think, think nice thoughts for me during that time. Um, but, like, I think I'm so attracted to that because I started this in the middle of a horrible flare when I had to give up my business. And I was just too sick to do anything. And I needed to find something to occupy my time. Right. And yeah. You need to out. do something with your – because, God. you know, you may be sick, but you still have your soul. You still have <laughs> your creative energy. You need to do something with it. And there's actually – I've come to feel like the creative energy. Uh, force that comes through the chronic illness community is really amazing. The writing, the speaking, the journaling, the art, the yeah, spoken word. I, I mean, I think that we are forced up. We can't um, exist in the world as we used to. We have to find some way to get our experience out to the world. Yep. This is absolutely. isolating. Like if you're chronically ill, it is isolating. Yeah. And I feed off of people in conversation. So this has been like my lifeline out to everyone. And you're, um, you're a mom too. Yeah. Oh, you have kids too? I do. I have, um, I've got a 17 year old who's ready to fly the nest and I have, it's a weird time for me. I'm, I had them earlier. So all of my friends are having their first babies right now and (laughs) mine's all grown and my other baby is like junior high age. It's, it's been interesting and, um, being sick with kids. I don't know how old yours are, but that's a whole world. (gasps) Ah! That's a darling age. How how they awesome. process this and how have you processed being a mom with chronic illness? Well, it's an ongoing thing. And honestly, I don't know, you know, it initially, cause I didn't find, you know, it took me till last year to figure out that I even had Lyme. So I kept thinking there's something wrong with my hormones. My thyroid is off or like, you know, this is fixable. It's going to go away. Um, and so that's how I would present it to my kids. Like I'm having, I'm struggling, I'm going through a period of ill health and I need a lot of time to rest, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to figure it out. And so now that I've, now that I know what's going on and now that I know there's so many question marks about recovery and if you do go into remission, does it last for a long time? Everyone is so different. Everyone gets their energy back at different levels. People. You know, I have a good friend who just relapsed again with neurological Lyme. And she's really sick again. So stories like that are so scary <laughs> and also just so real. You know, you don't have a guarantee. The only guarantee I have is that I have to take really good care of myself for the rest of my life. And I can do that. But how to present this all to my kids is really a challenge. And I mean, I just try to be as honest as I can and they absorb whatever amount of it they can. And I guess they're just going to grow up with a mom who's struggling with Lyme disease and they'll have a huge education and what you can do for yourself holistically and with diet and what the conventional medical world can't do for you. (laughs) 
I guess I'm just going to wind up growing up with that information. And in some ways, I'm sad for them that they can't be more just carefree and my mom will just always be there, you know. But in other ways, I feel like, well, it's life. Like, this is, it's life. They're getting an education in the fragility of life, essentially, by being with me through this illness. And luckily for me, I'm really pretty functional. Like, I can't, I have to take a nap in the afternoon, but I still spend tons of time with my kids. I go to their soccer games. I read them books at night. I snuggle with them and help them with their homework. So I cook them dinner. Like, I can do all the things right now, knock on wood, that it takes to... (laughs) to just like run a household with them. So I don't feel like their experience is too awful. There have been times where I've been spending most of the time in bed, but even then I would just sleep while they were at school. And then I would get up and be a mom to them when they were home. So I think for them more, it's psychological for them that they know life is fragile and can be difficult, right? Like they, they know I have days that, that really suck and, that those sucky days sometimes suck for my kids because I'll be grouchy (laughs) or just absent. Or like this morning I was like, no, I'm not taking you to a big box store to shop for spider, spider tights for Halloween. Like, no, the big box store will kill me. You know, you said something that's so wonderful about uh, the fragility of life and preparing your kids. And there's a thing that I read that it just hit the solar plexus, which is we shouldn't be preparing the road for our children. We need to prepare our children for the road. And mm-hmm. that was like, oh, so much just got like lifted off. I am, I am uh, very good at being guilted. That is like, yeah. <laughs> I am brilliant at being guilted into just about anything. And that was such a wonderful thing to remember when raising the kids. And But this is life. There are... Safety is an illusion. There are no guarantees. And to prepare them for that instead of preparing them to expect a smooth road. I think there's a lot to be said for that. so true. It's so true. And nobody wants to feel that, but it's the nature of existence. I mean, that's the thing we keep telling ourselves is we're the parent. We're supposed to be the one in charge. We're supposed to be the one that they can lean on no matter what. And that's not always true. Yeah. That's always, that's problematic. I try to change it up a little bit so that when we call it our darling slug days, because I was really sick when my daughter was born. So Mm. all through like her toddler, her first year, I was sick. And so we'd have these days where whenever I was doing too badly to get up, she would curl up in bed with me and I'd have all of our craft stuff right by the bed. So yeah, we would just do that or we'd watch, um, we are reality TV show geeks and we love like, um, Project Runway. That was our, we went through all the seasons, um, the sci-fi face-off. Um, that was our other one. RuPaul Drags Race is now our new, oh, nice. like, that is what we go all the way through. Um, so I think nice. that there's ways to still like be the parent you want to be if you can be really flexible with what that looks like. Absolutely. And find quieter, calmer, like cozier things that you can do with your kids that are still intimate. Yeah. And you know, maybe it winds up being, maybe they wind up feeling closer to you. Who knows, you know? I think that we don't get to find out anything for sure until they're 30 and they give us a therapy bill. <laughs> Post-therapy, they can let us know that. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, let me know when you're 30. That was the rule that my mom had with me. She's like, tell me everything when you're 30. Like, like, I'll be over the PTSD of raising you, Monica, by the time you're 30. So you can tell Seriously. me then. She's not over the PTSD of raising me, by the way. She still has a little twitch right here. If I mention the ages oh 13 through 24, and it actually does go off. It's... It's very adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's a little challenging raising kids. And, it was, you know, I guess it's true. We just know how hard we were on our parents. So, <laughs> I mean, my son brings it up whenever I'm, like, getting grumpy with him. He's like, I'm still better than you are. I'm like, ah, truth. You are, like, <laughs> oh, that's funny. 30 times better than I ever was. Um, but still, knock that off. <laughs> still be nice. Yeah, be nicer to me. I'm sick. Grandma wasn't sick. It's <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> So can you tell me a little bit more about your self-care routine? Because I'm guessing like meditation for you is a way to cope with, with the chronicness of it all. Meditation has kind of always been something that I did to handle um, restlessness, anxiety, whatever was coming up for me emotionally. And, but I used to do it through movement. Like I, I was a dancer before I got into Pilates and then, I have practiced Pilates personally for whatever, like the last 25 years. Um, So movement was a way for me to meditate and to just manage my brain waves. And then when I got sick, meditation was all of a sudden, not just 
optional. <laughs> it was like the only way to get through feeling really sick and feeling so scared when I didn't know what was wrong. And now too, honestly, like I know what's wrong and I still have times where I'm just so scared. If I start to feel badly, you're just not sure where the bottom is. You're not sure when you're going to turn around and come back up. Or if you're going to turn around and come back up, it's just, it can be terrifying. So I mean, that's going back to the naivete of of healthy people. The idea that there is something wrong. There will be a diagnosis the doctor will give me and there will be a treatment that will make me better. In two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) With this course of medication, you will be better. If you just find that miracle diagnosis, we can fix it all. And that's so not true. And that's, uh, that's one of the, like the stages of grief almost in getting a diagnosis is understanding that, that you might not get better, that there might not be, they can give you a reason but you might not have any treatment plan or the yeah. treatment plan might be beyond your financial means. Absolutely. absolutely. Thank you, Perfect. America. <laughs> but you know what? Honestly, like, okay, I'm angry at America for not taking better care of the chronically ill, but I also understand how difficult that is as a project. Like is with Lyme for, which is the only thing I really know anything about there. It's multifaceted. Like you asked about my self-care plan. It's diet, it's herbs, it's supplements, it's getting rid of heavy metals, detoxifying, it's rest, it's taking care of myself emotionally, it's making sure I feel supported, making sure I feel like I have a passionate reason to keep on living. And then it's medical treatment on top of that. So it's just so, it's so multifaceted, you can't really expect Western medicine to take care of all that for you. You know, like... There are some things that they could do a lot better with Lyme disease, but I don't think that they could cover it. I don't think even if they were doing a 100% amazing job, it's just too systemic and it's too difficult to expect to go to a doctor and be like, yay, I feel better two weeks later. I mean, maybe that'll happen someday. Maybe someday they'll come up with drugs that really keep the bacteria in check so that your symptoms are alleviated, but that hasn't happened yet. Like we don't, and we need more money for research. It's, they need to be more proactive about it. Like I agree with all that stuff. Absolutely. Um, but I also think there's just a part of it where it's a, any chronic illness is a, it's a systemic issue and each person is so different and there's not an easy answer, at least, at least not now. I will agree with a lot of that. What I will say is, is we need to get the actual real cost of what taking care of someone would be in this country because we are letting the insurance company tell us what it costs to be in a hospital or what it costs to take these drugs or what it costs for a doctor's visit. So once we find out, which would be really easy just by looking at Canada or Australia or any of the other places, then we can go, okay, so it doesn't cost $50 for an aspirin, which by the way, that's what I was charged in the hospital. Um, So if we get to actually the real cost, we could actually make a decision on whether we could do universal healthcare here in America with supplemental insurance for those of us with chronic illness, which I believe in Australia is certainly not the $1,000 a month that it can be here. So I think that if we didn't give trillion dollar tax cuts to the wealthiest, um, and we got to the bottom of what the real cost for everything is without letting the insurance company tell us what that is and allow competitive pricing with medication, I think at that point we could start having a real discussion on what the country can cover and won't cover. Um, yeah. but that's just my soapbox for the moment because oh, no, I, the I, I, GOP I, I, just released their list yeah. of what will not be covered anymore by health insurance and all of our disorders are on it. Wow. Yeah. All of I, it. That. All of it is pre-existing conditions. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, don't know how much longer I'll be an American, by the way. <laughs> I, anyone who would like to adopt me in a country that has socialized medicine. Hi, I, I'm really a great daughter now. Um, <laughs> I've gotten over the teenage years. Totally, most of the time, eighty percent over it. I swear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was just released today, and it's. Uh, I will get through the terrifying later. Really, we would like to be scared during Halloween time, just not this scared. It's terrifying. Um, you were yeah. listing a whole bunch of things on your interview of things that were helping you, and so when I hear paleo diet, I start rolling my eyes. Until someone educated me on what it was actually invented for. And then I'm like, oh, I really need to get over myself on my uh, snap judgments on things. So do you want to explain how the paleo diet helps you with your Lyme's disease? Uh, yeah, but, you know, to start it off is it doesn't work for everybody. You know, it's a 
I think diet is one of those things you can't just, it's not one size fits all. And so everybody has to kind of experiment on their own body and figure out what works for them. For me, that was one advantage I had is I, I, my mom was super into nutrition growing up. So as soon as I felt unwell, I had like 10 billion books on nutrition that I was reading and I immediately put myself on actually the GAPS diet, which is a little more extreme than paleo. It's a gut healing diet. I can't remember the name of the the researcher who came up with it, but she's English and she does research with autism and its relationship with gut health. But I just, I just knew, I knew that diet was for me and it's a lot of bone broth. It's a lot of like really well-cooked meat and vegetables. So just super easy to digest and assimilate and you cut all sugars. So ah. <laughs> as soon as I put myself on that diet, like two days later, I felt 50% better. And this was way before I knew I had Lyme disease, but so many of my symptoms were gone in two days. So I'm, I don't think sure. I'm still on a GAPS diet because I'm not doing so much soup and stew anymore, but I just eat like meat, vegetables, and nuts. And that's it. So there's like nary a sugar that goes through my body, except for sometimes some coconut water. <laughs> That is the hardest thing for me to give up is the sugar. It's really hard. And you know what? Honestly, I have friends with Lyme who don't do it, who aren't on this diet, and they're doing fine. So it's not for everybody. But I just, in my heart and in my <laughs> gut, I knew I had to do it. So I feel like there's something to be said for that with diet, too, that your intuition, your physical intuition will tell you what will work for you. I couldn't agree more with that. It's so funny how much we uh, ignore what our physical body tells us. Like I always try to teach my kids, like if there's something in your gut that feels wrong when you're about to make a decision, trust that before you trust your head or your heart. Like so trust true. the gut. Like if your stomach feels tight or gross or sick, it's it's really a good sign that you need to reevaluate quick. Yes. Especially my daughter. I I know it's like sexist of me, but I'm like, if you're in a situation and there's someone around you and your stomach tightens up, just walk out, call me. I will come get you. Like, don't even question it. Just don't worry about being polite. It's okay. That's such a, that's good advice for girls and boys, honestly. It it really is. Like I said, that was very sexist of me, but it was, um, I, and this is my first time raising a boy and I got to be a girl and I, (laughs) he is such an amazing person and I'm so proud of him for uh, growing up so well, despite that I have no idea what I'm doing. So that's not what you're doing. <laughs> no, I, I, I hope not. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm all alone in the, I have no idea. I'm just trying. Uh, <laughs> Social experiment at its worst. <laughs> compassionate winging it. Oh my God. I need that on a t-shirt. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. So you're, you have a very different kind of disorder than I have in that there are actual treatment options for you. And I don't know how, uh, like the treatment options that they give me are um, just management. There's no treatment. There's no, there's no real hope of remission. Um, what is that like to have hope? What is that like to have things that might be very expensive to try or very time? Hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. <laughs> see, I wanted you to say that so I, I mean, didn't feel okay, so bad. That's it. I'm really happy that there are some treatment options. On the other hand, they're so expensive and you don't want to waste enormous amounts of money and then be disappointed. Um, so the way I handle it is by using a medical intuitive. Mm. So I have a woman who I work with who I love. She's awesome. And I call her if I'm considering a treatment and I ask her if it's worth it and how it looks for my body. And she's never steered me wrong. She's really, really good at kind of reading my system and telling me which treatments are going to work for me. So I've done IV antibiotic therapy now for like nine months. And I never would have considered that prior to speaking with this intuitive, but she was like, you know, I never recommend this. I've only recommended this to one other client in the entire time I've been working with people with Lyme, but it's a really good fit for your body. And she was right. It actually has helped me enormously. Um, and it hasn't been cheap, but I'm glad I've done it. I don't know. <laughs> No, that's fine. So I did some research um, while I was getting your show notes ready, and I was blown away by what's not covered for limes in health insurance. Yeah, and there's like articles from Harvard on, and I did read them on because I'm a nerd um, on the controversy. Do you do you know why? Because like I did read them, I don't understand them. Do you understand why limes is not covered at all by 
No, I health insurance. It's a it's an ongoing fight, and the Center for Disease Control needs to change their rules about recognizing chronic Lyme as an actual thing. Uh, right now, they cover like a couple weeks of doxycycline if you test positive for antibodies, which many like I tested negative for antibodies when they tested me. I I believe that test is only about like I don't know thirty percent reliable. So, and I could be wrong about that number. That's just pulling that out of the air. Um, but yeah, so it's an ongoing political fight, basically, with all of this sort of bureaucracy and stodginess and personalities that get in the way of actually moving something forward politically. So, and I think the CDC would actually have to change their, I don't know what to call it, but they would have to change the rules, essentially, about what Lyme is and can it become chronic? And if it does become chronic, then what? Like, are they going to cover IV antibiotics for nine months to a year? That would be a huge step. Do you mind me asking how much your treatment costs you per month for like everything? Oh God, I actually don't even know because it's, I just don't even know. But I, I'm using herbs, antibiotics, IV ozone and IV glutathione to treat it. So like under a thousand, under five hundred, probably over a thousand. Yeah, that's. I was just trying to get like a ballpark yeah. number because, like, I did yeah. my little like breakdown even with as Eller Stainless is covered, <laughs> but uh-huh. the only treatment we have at all is ongoing physical therapy, which um, right. they don't cover. So it's um it's well over. Uh, even when I was trying to work with Eller Stainless, I had to do acupuncture, um, physical therapy, all, I tried all the herbs. I tried all the diets. It was close to like 24,000 a year with health insurance. And then my wheelchair was $12,000, which the insurance covered 80%. Thank you insurance. But that's still quite a bit of money when I had to go on disability. And so if you're not covered by insurance, I'm guessing that disability is not something you could take advantage of. No. Yeah, so that's like a huge amount of income that your family would be missing if you can't work from something that the CDC has just yeah. randomly decided. No, it's like fibromyalgia that just got on the list, like mm. just got on the disability list right now. And I'm like, so there's got to be reasons for this that I don't understand. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's politics at the end of the day. Ah, oh, my favorite word. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's it's really. To me, that this is part of the reason why I felt like I wanted to to start red kite meditations and start writing more about my experience with Lyme is the more people are talking about it, the more it just becomes public knowledge, the more that awareness is raised, and hopefully at some point things will change structurally within the CDC and within insurance companies, although I think it's going to be a while. I mean... Maybe it'll happen in the next 10 years. I don't know. But God, I just, there's so many people with Lyme. And I'm really lucky that I can work half time. A lot of people can't work at all. So, I mean, it's it's just staggering. The And like you said, it's a tiny little tick bite. Like, it's just unbelievable. The financial burden that it's, I mean, it's got to be just crushing thousands and thousands of people. Absolutely. And you're talking about something that is not only you can't take advantage of your insurance, you can't take advantage of disability, but you're also losing income and opportunities as well as you're sick. And you're um, like when I was a photographer, I'd go to all these networking meetings and they were always at night and then I got sick and I couldn't do those anymore. So that was a huge opportunities lost there. Yeah. Oh my God. It has to be millions and millions of dollars every year and lost productivity and then you think about well how much would it cost to actually cover treatments so people could be more productive and not lose that tax revenue if we're going to go capitalist let's go capitalist and actually look at i'll play by your rules if you want me to argue with you yeah um but just going by the rules of what they keep talking about with the capitalist country okay well how much is it costing for people to be sick and to not be putting money into taxes and putting money into it's a lot so who's actually benefiting by keeping us from being out in the world. No one is benefiting from it long term. No one is. No. So I don't yeah. understand if it's just a lack of imagination, a lack of intelligence, or if they just really hate sick people. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but it seems like chronic illness, everything I've read says that chronic illness is on the rise, you know, partly due to toxicity in the environment. 
So I just think we haven't quite gotten a handle on it yet, culturally. Like, Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we're probably about the same age, and I don't remember my mom's friends being sick. I only no. remember one person having breast cancer, and right. I can't tell you how many of my friends that I've lost in the last 10 years, um, right. people who are really sick right now, my right. mom's friends weren't sick. No, I actually think the toxicity in the environment is a really big deal in terms of catalyzing chronic illness. Like one of the things I've done to treat Lyme is take out every silver filling out of my head. Oh, wow. I've heard about that. Detox heavy metals like crazy. And I actually just sent in a test today to test my heavy metals levels after having done all that. Anyway, so that it's just part, it's part of the chronic illness picture. And I think our country doesn't really understand what chronic illness is yet or how, why it's caused or what we can do to like, it's new. I just think it's kind of hitting us over the head and maybe we're the canaries in the coal mine. Like, <laughs> toxicity is not going to work out long term. Man, tweet, tweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> right there with the, Oh my God. It's, it's just, um, how oh, my words are, are leaving me today. It's uh, sorry. If anyone's looking and watching this, my shoulder is just sort of hanging in the socket right now. Oh. Um, but what's interesting to me is that, I mean, at least when I was raised, it was um, the level of chemicals that we had as babies that, and I'm not, I, anyone who knows me knows that I am, I'm very far from, from the kind of person who's super alarmist about this, but just researching when I had my own children, my mom is very alarmist about everything and that's around them. So it's like organic milk, glass bottles, no onesies that were bought at, at other places. And I started looking at like, well, wait a minute, what was it like when I was growing up? And it was plastic everything. Like everything we had was plastic. Everything that we put on was treated with fire retardant chemicals. So yeah. there was chemicals like from the time we were born and our eyes opened and we got like a plastic bottle put in to going to sleep in our fire retardant pajamas to like all the toys we played with. And I'm like, I I just can't imagine that this was a positive thing. Like, no, I think you're seeing the results of that in the incidence of chronic illness now. It's interesting because like my disease is genetic. And at first we're like, who the hell in our family looks like me? Like who, who at all had any of this? And then we started looking really deeply and we realized that everyone had the beginnings of this. It's like one whole side of the family has hypermobility. And then this generation of the cousins, there's uh, two of us who actually have Ehlers-Danlos on different sides of the family. So, and then the, our babies are starting to show massive hypermobility. And like, this is really interesting that before it was just slighty kneecaps, but not like I pointed and my wrist dislocated. Like, right. So it's, and and I don't know if this is the case with your condition, but there are catalysts for gene expression, right? Like in terms of which gene expresses, it depends on the environment to a certain degree, right? So genetics is not just what you're born with. It's also what you're exposed to after you're born. See, it's like raising kids. It's like nature versus nurture. Like you're born with your personality, but how and what's around you is either going to make that really negative or really positive. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's true. So for you, you went on a hike. You actually remember when things changed for you. What was the diagnosis process like for you? It was just long (laughs) and it just took me forever. I went from doctor to doctor until I finally found the Lyme doctor who I go to now, who is wonderful. And he, you know, he just nailed it right away. He was like, you know, I have to watch out because I see Lyme everywhere I look, but you never had a tick bite, did you? And I was like, yes, I did. Yes. But everyone told me not to worry about it. And he was like, okay, we got to run a Lyme test next week. So, you know, and you just have to, I found the right person eventually. And that that's a common story that you'll hear from everyone with Lyme. It just takes a long time to find somebody who knows what it is. And it's so hard when you're, you know something's wrong. And people are saying you don't worry or I don't know. Or my personal favorite, you must be dealing with stress. Yes. Yes, I'm stressed. I don't yeah. feel well. Yeah, it's shocking. All of us are stressed. Not everyone has limes or elder stainless or like, it's like this catch all, especially when you're female. It's like, oh, you couldn't possibly be sick. You just are stressed. I'm like, hmm, you're not adding to the calmness of my life right now. (laughs) So true. Yeah. 
So what was your first round of treatment options? Did they give you anything that really helped? Or yeah, worked? I tried herbs first. You know, I had been doing, I started the diet stuff by myself right off the bat. And um, I was also, you know, taking supplements like iron and vitamin D just to kind of get all my levels up. But then when we found out it was actually Lyme, I started with all the herbs that are beneficial for Lyme. Um, and I was hoping that maybe I could just do that. So I did that for about five months. But then that was when last January I had a relapse. And I, I was actually doing pretty well on just the herbs until I got strep throat from my kids last December. They're such darling little outbreak it monkeys, just... aren't they? They're just like, here, here's all the diseases in the world. I'll give them to you. Oh, my God. So true. My body couldn't handle it. I couldn't, it couldn't deal with Lyme and strep. So then I started doing the antibiotic treatment after that. So for you and your relationships, has this changed anything with like your, your partner, your, your family? Yeah, sure. And like anything, I think it's day to day and up and down. Like in some ways it's brought my husband and I closer, but certainly day to day, it can make life much more difficult sometimes. So, you know, we're playing it by ear and we're trying to be good to each other. And it's, yeah, it's a day-by-day -day challenge. I'm always intrigued on, because like, I've been sick so long, and my husband absolutely knew what he was getting into. There was no, right. he knew I was not going to be able to work forever. He knew I was going to get much sicker. He knew that I was most likely going to end up in a wheelchair. Like, it, there was no surprises here. But yeah. for a marriage that doesn't start with that, and it sounds like you were super active. Like I was, yes. That's a change in the things you guys can do as a couple and connect with. I don't think they, honestly, he's, he's still in a little bit of denial. Well, it's only been a year, so <laughs> you're still the honeymoon of the chronic illness diagnosis. But it's been five years that I've been different. So yeah, he's still, I mean, I think that he is still like, maybe treatment will work and you'll go right back to being what you were before. And I'm kind of mm. gently trying to be like, I'm never going to go out and drink Manhattans with you again. <laughs> You know, this is a sad thing, and I have that problem with, um, not with my, my husband, but even with my family, of, uh, not my immediate, but, like, outside of the immediate family of, like, but you'll be yourself again, right? And right. it was, like, I could get 100% better, and I wouldn't be that person. Just, like, you can't go back to who you were. Alice in Wonderland yes. taught us that. Like, yes. I will never be who I was before this journey. This is a new person, and... Uh, you either like her or you don't, but yeah. <laughs> this yeah. fundamentally and, you know, changes. It's, I mean, oh, I guess that's why it's for better or for worse in sense and <laughs> health, right? But I still sometimes feel like I want to offer my husband a caveat, like, look, you didn't sign up for this. Do you want to bail? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think he's pretty sure that he doesn't want to bail, even though sometimes I think he's like, oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. That's, um... With my disorder, the divorce rate is through the roof. It's yeah. crazy, the divorce rate. And I find it so interesting because, and not to say that there aren't women who leave husbands who are sick, but I do find the statistics staggering on the husbands who leave wives who are sick versus the... You know what, though? It's, they're going to get their comeuppance in the end. Men who are, <laughs> A, not married, die younger. And do they think they're <laughs> With no woman to take care of them when they get sick. Like, guess what, boys? It's going to be your turn someday. <laughs> so what I am absolutely loving right now is this new generation of kids. I, I realize I am the... Oh, they're awesome, don't you think? I am like, um, can we elect you now? Oh um, God, hey, I'm so millennials. You guys are awesome. Yeah, right? I completely agree. I am so jealous that I was born in the wrong time period. Oh, I'm too. Like... I totally agree with you. God, they're just, they're so much more accepting and open-minded. Yeah, I was just talking to my son's friends, and I won't out anyone um, because that's not my place to say, but I will say that he has, does have friends who are like, I am non-binary. I am, I am, yeah. oh, is it asexual romantic? And I'm like, what the hell is that? It was like, I feel romantic feelings. I want to have the notes and the hand-holding, but all the rest of the physical stuff not in. I'm like, was that something I could have chosen in high school? Like, could right. I check that, that box? Oh yeah. my God. Like the boundaries they're setting for themselves. They're like <laughs> the, what they're willing to deal with and not deal with. I'm just like, this is an exciting new world. There are consequences yeah, for things. There are boys who learn how to do things. There are boys who learn how to cook, to sew, to to be a yeah. part of things. My husband's father sat him down. It was like, I am so proud of the father you are because my husband is like, 
the most involved father I've ever met. I have never met anyone who is mother or father who is as involved as he is. And his dad was like, I, I wish I had done that. I, this yeah. is, you're a great dad. And I'm like, how sad for all these men who didn't feel like there's right now. And it's, it'll probably be on the news cycle by the time this airs, but Piers Morgan, who is a, um, talk show host in England just tweeted out about Daniel Craig who played Bond having okay. a, yeah, his little baby in a papoose and walking around with the baby in a papoose. And he was like, not you too, James Bond emasculated. Like, I'm like, what kind of moron are you? <laughs> like how, how can we decide that, dying out? <laughs> I, I will go with what I'm trying to teach and trying to learn. And I have some wonderful friends who are really trying to calm my like rage down with, we are not trying to make them die out. We're trying to educate. And I'm like, okay, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this for me instead of for them. I'm going with the Eleanor Roosevelt hating and raging at people is drinking poison every day and expecting them to die. So I am going with the, it's a progress, a work in progress. Um, I have not appointments. I've had a hard time with that. Like, I think I was on board with that right up until he got nominated and then I lost it. I was rocking back and forth in a corner. I'm actually not kidding. I had an anxiety attack as I watched her. I was, I felt like I'm too sick to really go out and fight. I am too sick to go out and march. Um, but I can at least witness her speech and her speaking and being brave enough for that and I watched both of them I had a total panic attack and I believe Kavanaugh in that I believe he doesn't remember it well you might be right about that I believe that anyone who says the was it three f's or four f's which anyone of our age group knows what that means knows Mm -hmm. that forget them is the last f and I am sure Mm -hmm. that by the time he walked out the door and got more drunk Hmm. He didn't remember any of it. It wasn't important to him. So hmm. I'm really hoping that for this next generation of millennials and for the gentlemen out there right now who are trying to catch up to what all this new world means, that everyone just treats each other with a level of humanity, that we all decide we don't get to X out the humanity of anyone. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Gentle. And anyone who's listening to this, go back and listen to her interview. And we did a whole podcast on chronic illness and political involvement where she totally schooled me on this idea cool that's so cool <laughs> it's um as i am very political i have been since i was a kid i was raised by hippies so mm-hmm. to suddenly be too sick to march too sick to even like write to my congressman it's been like how do you still stay politically active and self-care during the kavanaugh trials how do you yeah, how do you it. deal with this when you are a victim of sexual assault and you're watching the supreme court justice now we have two sexual assaulters on supreme court justice anyways keeping track and one who's a president like how do you process that like anyway we got really far away from limes my apologies <laughs> i well, am brilliant at getting off involvement is good is a good discussion to have. And yeah, I mean, yeah. now more than any other time, we got to, I mean, one way is just talking about it, just talking about recognizing the humanity in other people, people, whether they're sick or whether they're female, they still need to be treated with respect, dignity, mm-hmm. listen to them, be nice to them. <laughs> you know, Shocking doctor, ideas. You don't know why someone is sick. Try listening and saying, I don't know what's going on with you. Let me refer you to someone else. So just that would be amazing. The three hardest words in the English language are I don't know. And I don't know, especially if you have an advanced degree. Yeah. That's something that even in business and in the world, we need to get so much more comfortable with saying is I don't know. As parents, we need to get much more comfortable with I don't know. There's nothing that's not, I mean, it's just a gift you can give someone else to listen to them believe them and then tell them you don't know oh and, my god that would have been i would have loved to hear that from any <laughs> number of doctors well and getting to the self-care of it all taking care of yourself forgiving yourself is one of the best lessons you can teach everyone around you because if you're not holding yourself to an insane level of perfectionism it gives the people around you the ability to to trust you that they can give themselves a break as well absolutely absolutely well, I only have one last question for you because I will talk to you all day and kidnap you. And <laughs> this is way too much fun. <laughs> um, what do you have that's your your hack for dealing with chronic illness? Do you have like anything that you've been able to buy, anything you've been able to do that is how you get through this? 
Honestly, it's, it's meditation, seriously. And it's that's why I made the, the site Red Kite Meditations. And it's what I hope to share with other people with chronic illness is just how much solace meditation offers. And there's so many different ways to meditate. Not one person's meditation is going to be the same as another. And I, I mean, I think sometimes that's a little bit of a barrier to entry and feeling like, well, I just can't sit there in a cross-legged position and pay attention to my breathing. Guess what? I never meditate like that. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you for that. Um, that There's is, uh... do it. it. What it means is becoming present with your soul. So that's a, that's open to creative interpretation on a thousand levels. And I am having so much fun writing about it and practice, practicing it in different ways for myself. I read voraciously other people's writing about it. And I still use the meditations that I recorded because they still really work for me. They, they settle my nervous system and they bring me into a feeling of relaxing within the, the contents of my own spiritual being, which is what I need sometimes just to make it through the night, you know? So that's, if I can share that with other people who are chronically ill or suffering from anxiety, then I've done my part with, you know, it's like, that's what I'm here to do. That's, that's my goal at this point. Speaking as someone who is basically a gnat with a cocaine addiction level <laughs> of attention span, I was so blown away by the meditations. I listened. I really loved. I found them incredibly easy to do and relaxing. And that's saying something for me. I also want to point out this is not an advertisement. We are not being paid to say any of this. I don't, as of right now, take advertisers for Invisible Not Broken. So when you hear us talking to someone who's dealing with something and also talking about what they are doing, it's just to amplify what we think is really awesome and to amplify their voices. So please do not contact me for advertising opportunities. That's not what we do here. Uh, we get a lot of them. Um, and thank you for thinking of us, but that's not how this works here. This is, um, we are not profit. <laughs> so if you want to help us go to Patreon, that's always lovely. We're invisible that broken there. Uh, we are going to wrap up because we're almost at an hour and I cannot thank you enough for being with us. If you would like to learn more about Shona's webpage of Red Kite, Go to our show notes. I have every way to get a hold of her that she has, from her Facebook to her Instagram to her website. And you can always try out the meditations before buying them. So, Shona, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. That was so much fun. I really oh. appreciate it. Until next time, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.